and the problem is when we start focusing on saying women 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 you still look at the statistics it has become worse right so you are not really uh, doing them a favor you are only uh, pointing them out in in as though we don't belong in the same we are not fighting in the same uh, ring right So welcome to Outliers. This is a podcast with Outliers, and uh, I'm in Hyderabad. Is that what is called still? Yes, it is. <laughs> okay, good. And I'm sitting down with Anu Acharya, who is founder of Map My Genome. And uh, as I was just telling her before we started this conversation, I'm not here because she's a woman entrepreneur or anything like that. <laughs> But uh, uh, you know, someone who I truly believe is at the intersection of creating something meaningful. and this is the first time i'm meeting you so i'm really looking forward to this conversation and welcome to the podcast thank you thanks for inviting me to this podcast uh let's uh, let, let's start from the start and uh mm, tell me how and why did you start uh, map my genome and help me understand the roots of it because uh, a lot of us uh, do things later in our lives and uh, the inspiration are somewhere hidden sure. you know back there so so is there a trigger for you i mean why are you doing what you are doing so any uh, map my genome is actually my second venture so uh, map my genome was fairly uh, more uh, obvious path from where i left uh, osimum uh, but 18 years ago is when i started my entrepreneurial journey but i think the roots must have come much earlier when i was born probably in my dna <laughs> <laughs> right? uh, so like i tell that you know there are there is 30 40% uh, you know of your dna that might show there is a potential for being an entrepreneur mm. right so maybe there was some of it was hidden over there uh, but i think more than that i think it was also the way we grew up maybe um, you know one i'm a marwari Uh, so that explains a little bit, uh, but also I grew. But as you know, in spite of being a Marwari, I think we grew up very differently. We grew up in a academic household. My dad was a professor. We were four siblings, and uh, it wasn't uh, a, a very a business family, I would say. But at the same time, I think my dad, in some form, was a scientist and an entrepreneur in some form, and uh, he used to pay us for doing things. and i think that was probably the start of where i learned the value of money the value of a transaction and and the value of you know how you can get things um, you know how you can try to pursue something and be able to get it so i think maybe it started somewhere over there but it was only when i was in iit that i decided to uh, become an entrepreneur hmm. <coughs> but why uh, genomics so uh, i think uh, we kept thinking about lots of ideas it wasn't my first idea there was it was not so we were uh, i'd moved back i'd moved to the us in 95 uh, i was supposed to do a phd so i had my phd drop out because i i ended up doing two masters instead so i now have three masters and a and an, and an undergrad and uh, so while we were doing that there are many other ideas we pursued so it was definitely not the first we thought about we thought about things like bandwidth bazaar e voice gram many other things many interesting things uh, things that actually did happen later on in life right so uh, we thought about a lot of different ideas with different sets of friends uh, family and, and other people but i think somewhere in 98 or something um, our third co-founder uh, dr sujatha pami and subhash uh, who's 
Um, so we were three founders in Oslo, but Sujata had come up with the idea of doing uh, bioinformatics and genomics, and she said, you know, there is uh, all these new things going on, why don't you guys do something? And we were like, oh, let's go. And that time there was no Google, so we were searching on InfoSeq. We found three results. So we said, okay, clearly, you know, the Human Genome Project was about to get completed, but it's still the early stage, right? So there were not many results. So we said, okay, it sounds like a difficult, interesting, and exciting area. Maybe it's time for us to jump into it. So I think that was it. That was the start of why we started Osimo. Um, but beyond that, we did develop a business plan and, and other things. But that was how we first got initiated in this whole process. And, uh, yeah, go on. At that point, I don't think anyone knew what genomics was. So it was quite interesting because we moved back in 2000, um, end of 2000, and we we're trying to recruit people. And obviously, nobody in India had heard about bioinformatics or genomics. We found one resume that said a uh, few bioinformatics tools. So we got very excited. Uh, we were like, oh, good, good. There is someone. One in 2000, it's mm -hmm. fine. But at least we found someone. So I think that's how we really got started. But uh, we evolved the business plan as we went along. And uh, I mean, clearly, it was not another e-commerce idea. So it must have been uh, difficult for sure. Uh, take us through. Uh, the journey, uh, I know, like, take us through the important milestones and uh, the good, bad, and the and the ugly, as they, as they say it, right? Were were there uh, times when you you thought this doesn't make sense? What did you do then, if at all? No, I think you don't say it doesn't make sense, but it, it is difficult. There are lots of roadblocks, right? And especially if you're in an area which is uh, tough. Um, I think you know, as an entrepreneur, maybe there is one thing which says you know it will ultimately work, right? And I think that's the that's the dream, that's the passion you believe in. Even if others around you are saying, you know, what you're doing is completely useless. Uh, we, we've uh, we've we had people who were very senior, very um, who gave us a lot of advice, uh, who said, you know, we've spent a million dollars figuring out that this is not the right area to be in. Uh, we we had people who came and volunteered information to us. Um, lots of people told us that, you know, you guys are smart, why are you guys wasting your time? Um, you know, those kind of things. But at the same time, I think when you are an entrepreneur, you have an idea. And if you really believe in it, I think all of that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Then you want to do, really do it. So you want to prove a case. Uh, you want to prove that you can do something. And I think at that point, I think the whole purpose was, he said, you want to build a world-class company out of Hyderabad. And we'll bring software, uh, so software products from Hyderabad in the bioinformatics space. So not only were you, you're not a country that is known for software, but you're not known for software products that were shrink wrapped. Right? So we said, we'll do it, right? So we start selling, and I think in the beginning, when we started doing this, um, I used to, we used to have a company in the US as well, right? So we had two companies. We were trying to uh, be. You know, make it a front end of the US and, and a back end, even though I was traveling all the time uh, to the US or other places. So I think that's how we got started. Um, and we actually then started to make money. Uh, <laughs> we didn't raise money for the first five years of the company. And then ultimately went through two rounds of uh, fundraising from IFC, World Bank, and, and also another private equity investor and we had acquired three companies by then. So we acquired three companies globally and we became one of the largest companies in this space. I would say that every at every occasion I think there was a roadblock. There were many roadblocks. Um, but I think that's natural. And I think when you choose a path that is that of an entrepreneur, I think that's something you should take it as part of the parcel, <laughs> you know, and that you will have those issues. 
but uh, I think the fun part is to be able to get across those hurdles and be able to say that you know we've been able to build something and, and build something of value. So we did all of that. Uh, and I think but one of the things was I, I felt that there was something that we were not being able to connect with the average consumer. Right? So every time you meet someone, um, they'll say, okay, one, you know, you are, you are from IIT, already that puts off lots of people, right? The second, you say you, were, you did something in physics, then you say genomics, so you already lost like half your population by then saying, I don't understand what you do, right? But it must be smart, right? That, that, was, that was, you know, that is probably the conclusion that most people drew. You said, fine, how do you make it something that the average, your neighbor, your auntie, the uncle, or, or the little child that comes and talks to you can also make sense out of what you're doing. And it is a technology that does have implications for every human being. So I think that was the reason for me to actually pursue being a company like MacMyGenome, and that's how we got started. So the, the other thing you mentioned is really interesting. First five years were bootstrapped. Now, bootstrapping, some people would say, is, is slow, long burn, right? So, but uh, why did you bootstrap first five years? I mean, was it lack mm -hmm. of funding or was it something that you wanted to achieve out of that journey? No, I think it was, uh, I don't think we even looked for funding at that time. That is, that is one. And I don't think it was the way it is today, right? Right now, I think people don't talk about what the company does. They talk about how much funding a company has got. And, and I think if you think about what an entrepreneur's real journey is, it is about what are you actually doing? You know, what have you actually solved? So I think maybe we never, you know, we never really looked at that. The second was also that we had some uh, capital that we could get access to, uh, you know, within within the family, and, and you know, so it was not like, uh, you know, we wouldn't survive without it, right? So I think one was that, uh, but also it was the environment at that time in the 2000s was not like this, mm. right? <laughs> I think today uh, the environment is different. People think about funding first and then the product second. Which is a sad story, uh, but but that's how it is. So at that point, we didn't think about it, but we were pursued by we did were pursued by a lot of uh, you know that was around the time. And then IFC had looked at us uh, and they pursued us, and we finally ultimately did go along with that path. But we went there because we wanted to acquire a company. So it was not for regular growth. It was more for uh, it was more for. Um, you know, being able to acquire a company from Germany, and that is where we first went and got uh, this capital. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. Uh, but later on, mm -hmm. as, as you started growing, and, and you received funding as well, uh, how and why did you select a particular investor? Or, I mean... So the first time it was IFC, I think we were in conversation with them. Um, and it was not directly with IFC that we first started this conversation. I think it was... Uh, from Stanford Research Institute that there was a professor who had come to scout companies in, in, in India and I think we were in touch with him. So I think it started from there. So it wasn't like we went and pitched to individual investors and, and then uh, did that. I think it came from there. And then since we were acquiring this company, um, we had acquired one already without any investment actually. So this was the second, second uh, acquisition that we were doing. So the first one that we did, we did with our own capital. And uh, it was a company in, in Germany that we had acquired. And uh, you know, it was, I think, a very interesting acquisition. I think still one of our, our best acquisitions. Um, but uh, we did that acquisition. Um, and then I think people started to know who we are globally. Right? 
because it was a German company which had operations in the US, in India and, and also in Germany. So they were uh, fairly well known. It was a publicly listed company and we had done this acquisition with no external uh, funding at all. So I think that was a time when uh, we said maybe it might help if we had uh, an investor. So we said, yeah, I mean, when we had the conversation at that point with the SRI and, and the professor, I think we then started the process, right? So it was, that was the process that we did. The second time I would say that we did do the conventional route of pitching to investors. Uh, and at that time also it was fairly, um, I think within the first few listing that we were able to get that because again it was for an acquisition. So I would say that it was for us, the two rounds that we did were uh, more like a, you know, uh, not the usual conventional thing. We, we've done that also beyond that. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying that uh, the second one, we did that because we knew we had a target in mind. We knew what we wanted to acquire and the money was going to be used only for the acquisition. So both the times it was for an acquisition. Mm -hmm. So it was not, I would say, it wasn't the way that we then did uh, subsequently with with Map My Genome, I think with Map My Genome we did the angel and, and all of that. But I think it was uh, with Osimum, I think we went straight for uh, private equity and... That's know. a good part. Uh, we, we are actually now seeing a bunch of uh, deep science startups. And, and when I meet some of those founding teams, uh, there's clearly one area which you find them struggling and some of them accept. It's totally fine that or selling it, or they all struggle maybe to have a potential CEO who can do that job for them. You had a journey with building a deep science kind of a startup for, for, for a long time. What would you tell scientists who want to turn entrepreneurs? And you see that now in ISC, IITs and places like that. What are the key learnings there? So I think it depends on the person who's there, that you make sure that they have a team that can complement their skills. Right? So if you're, uh, you know, if you are, for instance, we, when we, our first founding team had three founders. We had one who was a, he was a CSO, um, then we had, I was the CEO and, and Spash was the CFO. Right? So we all had you know, slightly different kinds of skills that were there. I think by the time you come to the second one, it becomes a little bit easier because you, you already have some of the team in build. You can attract the right kind of talent and you've gone through that struggle uh, already. So it becomes a relatively, it becomes an easier process the second time onwards. You know what, what is missing and not. But many times then not, people will not want to get someone else in. And I think then they struggle on, on a variety of fronts. So that is the thing. So if you're a deep science person, if you're like a CSO kind of person, I think you should continue to do that. Find someone who might be able to uh, complement that skill because uh, selling is as important as, uh, if not more important than even the science that we do. Because ultimately, I think whatever we do, we'll have to make sure whether you're selling it to cons consumers, whether you're selling it to a business, whether you're selling it to a stakeholder, you still have to actually sell the story to somebody. So. The the other issue, Anu, is uh, when you talk of science uh, companies, you know, uh, companies like like yours or many others, is is the issue of ethics uh, on on everything from privacy to uh, what is uh, you know the crossing the line and, and things like that. Uh, what has been your uh, journey on, on on that front? Uh, you know, especially building a product like this, right? Which 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 touches a lot of these intersections where questions can be raised about privacy, mm -hmm. ethics. Uh, what are the key uh, learnings there? So one is that I think we have to start thinking as a consumer. 
right? So think about all the stakeholders, think about how it impacts them. So for instance, when you look at genetics, um, and you're also a consumer, right? I mean, it's not that I'm uh, disjointed from the rest of the consumer universe. So one is to be able to think on behalf of the consumer, right? How would you as a consumer react? The second is to be able to say, are there technologies that will be able to enable you to, to uh, overcome those challenges that are there? And I think that's what we are trying to do. So make sure that you are following regulations that are there. Um, and if the regulations don't make sense, um, which also happens, <laughs> then you have to make sure that you can actually sell that or make sure that you can actually uh, sell and convince uh, people who are actually making those, uh, this thing because it's as important because sometimes you might not have the necessary uh, people to be able to make those decisions. So one is that as a CEO of a company that is involved in this, I think it's extremely important that you think on behalf of the consumer when you are selling to consumers. Because if you don't think that way, then I think uh, you'll never be able to gain the trust. And then, then I think you know that's the first thing, first element that matters in, in any consumer selling. So definitely, I think you have to start thinking about that. Make sure you have technology that can help you get to that the same. And the third is to think about the future. So for instance, I think recently we did a, a, a partnership with the Israeli company who does blockchain. Uh, maybe we are a little bit ahead of our types, but usually we are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think it was important to be able to make sure that we can think about consumers' privacy and, and uh, the data, uh, you know, that how when they're consenting to something, what is it that they're consenting to? So if you have looked through our uh, uh, consent forms and all of that, I think there are about four things that the consumers are explained and, and they sign uh, when they actually start the service. So we make sure that they understand what they're doing. Um, and even though we, we're currently making sure that you know everything is done is uh, anonymized and all of that, I think we also have to look at new technologies, whether it's blockchain or otherwise, that will um, increase the trust that you have with, with the consumer. And um, just to shift gears, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I used to come to Hyderabad most often around the time the whole Satyam fiasco happened. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I noticed around that time, of course, there were lots of other companies that was damn good, right? I mean, I, of course, never had a chance to meet you. But a lot of them were complaining about being painted as, uh, a lot of investors were having doubts, okay, are you based in Hyderabad? You know, I'll have questions giving you funding. I know startups who moved away from Hyderabad when they were seeking funding. I'm bringing this up to understand from your journey, how did you, as an entrepreneur, as a startup, fought those battles? Those battles are not about your product, but perception Correct. and a lot of other things. So, is there any? So, I think one is that if you believe that you're in the right place, I think you should continue staying in the right place. Because maybe we, yes, you know, I agree, for instance, if I was in Silicon Valley, uh, my journey would have been different. But that's not the journey I wanted to do, right? I want to make sure that you can impact the lives of Indian people, right? If you if you want to do that, then being in Silicon Valley uh, or even Bangalore or anywhere else for that, I mean, Bangalore is okay, but let's say if, if you want to impact somebody in India, being in Silicon Valley doesn't help you do your business. That's the most important thing. So I had a lot of people who told me that. I had people who told me that, uh, Hyderabad, who will come here? I mean, why do you want to be uh, associated with Hyderabad? So I said, see, I've, this is a decision I made. I'm going to stick with it. And I think I continue to do that. And I know that it will be easier, much easier being somewhere else to raise money. But that's not the purpose of my existence. Right? I think that's something that I, I tell people. I state then, today I think if you look at it, Telangana and Andhra Pradesh are ranked number one in ease of doing business. Right? 
So I, I think if you think that you are in the right place, you should stay in the right place. It doesn't matter what other people think, you know. And uh, you know, at least I have been able to. Uh, I feel that yes, there are a number of investors that are here are lesser currently, but they'll change. I think they'll change because they'll start seeing that everything in Hyderabad is better. And uh, you know, we saw that earlier. We 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 stayed here. Uh, for us to do business in the rest of the world from being in Hyderabad is, is as uh, you know, similar as being in, in Bangalore or Delhi or Bombay or anywhere else. So I think for us it didn't matter. We don't have the as bad traffic congestions as <laughs> some cities. Uh, I know I'm coming from one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. but, but so I think those battles will continue. And I think you know, for us, we make sure that we bring it up, whether it is to the, our government or anywhere else, that it's very important for us to change the perception. But if we, as you know, the original startups from here, I think if we are not, if we move out, then I think it doesn't set the thing. So you have to stay there. I think it, the environment gets better. So today, I think you know there are the number of investors that have started coming in have, have increased. Uh, the number of um, you know we have T Hub. We have so many other things that are going on in Hyderabad. We have a large number of ac academic institutions, um, and I think a government that wants to really do something. So I think I would not be uh, worried about it anymore today. But I think at that point uh, there were enough people who tried to say, "Why don't you move?" Uh, and I said, "If I wanted to move, I would have just stayed in in, in the U.S. Uh, it would have been easier." But that is not why you start a company. So you you talked about this sense of purpose mm -hmm. or purpose of existence. What is your source of uh, having those beliefs? I mean, where do you derive your belief system from? So I think, you know, maybe it's something that you learn from your parents or I don't know what it is. So, so when when you think about everything that you've done, and I, I, you know, my dad used to constantly say that, you know, there are many things that we are today standing on. What we're doing today is, is all the work that someone else did for you later, right? And when I think about our own lives, you say, you know, you're going to be here for, a maximum of 100 years, uh, an average of 70-something years. Uh, you have a very short period in time. But if we don't do something that will improve from the time we came from, you are ultimately not serving your, you know, uh, your purpose of being here. And I think that's, you know, it's as simple as that. So you have a short, short time on Earth, you do what you need to do. And then, you know, someone else will carry it forward, right? So I think whatever others have done, I think it's important that we pick something that we can do something little bit better than what is already there. And then I think you leave it to the next generation to, to take it forward from there. And, and I think that's probably what I was ingrained with and, yeah. and you take it forward from there. At, at some point in time, uh, entrepreneurs start sounding like philosophers. <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. What I mean is, uh, like, as a storyteller, I spend a lot of time only talking to entrepreneurs. Uh, when you have deeper conversations with them, uh, the lines start blurring, right? Uh, now, I understand deeper sense of partners, I, I, the belief systems, but there is a way to get things done, like some people say and all that. How do you balance uh, idealism, if at all, the, if I'm getting it right, with uh, the reality of doing business? How, how do you do that? No, so I think if you don't have idealism, it's very tough to do something that is new or, or uh, you know, something that you believe alone that can, can get things done. So I take some examples from my childhood, and it's quite interesting because I think my dad taught us to be 
very idealistic in in uh, you know, we are growing up and all that. But uh, he also understood practicalities. And till I, I graduated from college, I think he didn't really expose us to too much of the actual real world. And I think I grew up in a small campus town. So it was easier not to be, uh, to have access to actually real world problems, right? But I remember the first time we went on a train and I was going for my first job. Um, and uh, my visa had been rejected. I was supposed to go to the US, visa had been rejected. My dad says, let's go. And uh, why don't you try to get a reservation on the train? So I said, sure. So I went with all my charm uh, to the ticket collector and I said, you know, I gave him my whole story, this and that. He said, Psh, you know, sorry, don't have any seats for you. I said, you, but you don't understand, you know, I'm you know, this and that and all. Like, you know, I really need to go and I already have tickets in the train, but uh, all of that. He still didn't uh, absolutely refuse to listen to me. And then my dad came. And he said, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, how do you get things? So my dad went to the ticket, came back, and we got two seats. I said, how did you get it? Right? So he said, it's, it's a very simple process in, in that sense. Um, he said, uh, I've never exposed you to something like this, but the reality is that the world functions this way. So you have to get, you have to understand how they function in order to make sure that you can get, uh, you can actually get things done. Now, while I haven't really been able to figure out all of that because of how I was brought up, I think the thing is that you have to understand that you can't change the system completely. Mm. And that you have to understand how to function in that system. Uh, and if you don't like a certain way, then you don't try to change the system. You go somewhere else. You do something that, can, that you can uh, work, you know, you can work with the set of conditions. But if you are going to function in a particular environment, the change in a system happens much slower than your own change. So if you want to get things done, you have to understand how everybody else functions and thinks. And I think, you know, then you start to realize that. So I think I'm still much more idealist than I should have been, should be. But uh, in the end, getting things done, I think, is, is more about motivation, getting people to understand, um, you know, why you're doing something. And then there are people follow, right? So I think if once people know that this is the purpose, I think there, there are more more than enough people who will get who will go you know, in that direction, but uh, the reality is that I think uh, for those of us who have grown with grown up who grew up with extremely idealistic parents, <laughs> I think that is the hard transition. But you have to learn not to get um, you know not to start shouting at things around you. But I think if you don't like it, you go a different route. Right? Uh, but uh, you know, I think if if I was much younger, I couldn't stand anyone cheating, for instance. Mm -hmm. Now I don't cheat, but I don't shout at people who are cheating. <laughs> That's the difference. Mm -hmm. So I think you grow up, you learn how to do things, and and I think just getting things done, I think, is more a matter of motivating and inspiring people <coughs> than um, you know terrorizing or <laughs> you know <laughs> that sort of thing. So final uh, couple of things. Uh, so uh, has. Has entrepreneurship changed you as a person in any ways? If you, if you were to look back uh, 15 years, 20 years? I think we all change over a period of time, but the genes remain the same. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, in, in, I think intrinsically we'll remain the same. I think every experience changes you, right? So I would say that, yes, it has changed me. But I think if I'd gone some other route also, it would have changed me in a slightly different way. So I would say that <coughs> I'm still who I am, but I think it's it's important that you, you've gone, the journey that you've gone through, 
makes you uh, gives you that experience that makes you uh, know things better. So there is the if I let's say start a third company, I think then you have a slightly different set of experience when you start that up. For instance, I think you know, it was different when I did the first one versus the second one. So I think that's the difference that is there. So you are not changed as a person, but you have a different set of experiences. So I, I usually like to write in my slides, I am equal to DNA plus environment plus uh, behavior. Those are also so, the factors. <laughs> correct. Right? So some things don't change, but the other, other parameters change. Uh, finally, before, before we sign off, uh, you know, I must ask you this. Too much of is being made of, you know, when it comes to uh, women entrepreneurs or women in tech and things like that. I, as a bystander, I, I have listened to those conversations and watched those. But what, what do you make of not just gender, but equality overall when it comes to your own experience as an entrepreneur? So I think, you know, if people did things without a bias, uh, we wouldn't have these conversations at all, right? Uh, if, if people, for instance, said, I'm not going to look at uh, a person's uh, caste, their gender, or any, any other thing, I think you would have a fairly well spread out thing in any company, in any universe, in any thing, right? Um, so for instance, we have a fairly good mix of different communities, of different you know, castes, of different everything, right? I don't even know what, they, but I'm saying they're very diverse. But at the same time, I think what happens is we have to realize that biases are natural, right? They always come in. And the problem is when we start focusing on saying women, 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 you still look at the statistics, it has become worse, right? So you are not really uh, doing them a favor. You're only uh, pointing them out in, in as though we don't belong in the same, we are not fighting in the same uh, ring, right? So it becomes like uh, these women entrepreneurs or the women employees or the women whoever are actually not fighting against the men, which is not true. So I, I have to tell you one thing that recently struck me. I was watching Seinfeld's uh, with, uh, with a comedians in I'm Cal a big fan. I watch it And all. he said one thing. He said, when I sit on a plane and there's a woman pilot, um, I feel very safe because she must have worked twice as hard to get there, right? So I think uh, that is the reality. That's how it is. So I think, you know, by focusing on women entrepreneur, I think you are making, you want to make sure that the men have their own universe and, and the women are different one, which is not true. We all live in the same universe. It's very important that we understand what the biases are that make us the way we are. And how do you get rid of that? Instead of saying, I will focus on, you know, how do I, you know, by, by making that, adding that term, they automatically uh, want to reduce it and put us in a separate category. So I think that is the thing. I think we have to realize that uh, the universe we live in is the same. And it's more important that we understand that uh, we need to ensure that the biases are gone and that we give everyone really an equal opportunity, not just a tick on the box. Very well said. And I completely <laughs> empathize with sure. you. Thank you, Anul. Good talking Thank you. to you. Thank Thanks. you.